Hello, my name is Karen O'Connor and you are listening to Menopause, Marriage and Motherhood, the podcast that looks at all aspects of women's lives from hormones and health to relationships, finance and social justice issues. You can connect with me on social media at at karen.mmn. If you enjoy this podcast or podcasts in general, and you've been wondering whether you should start your own podcast, head on over to speakuppodcasting.com to find out just how easy and cheap it is to start podcasting. Now let's get right into it. Hello and welcome. I'm here today with Mari Thompson. Welcome, Mari. Hi, it's lovely to be here. Thanks for having me. So you are a, I've got to look at my book, sorry for this, a holistic health mentor, a physical therapist and a menopause coach too. Yes, the menopause coach has come in the most recent of times um, because I, I have myself gone on this perimenopause journey, but I've been a remedial therapist and Pilates instructor in clinical practice for about 20 plus years now. Yeah, I, I was going to say, because that must give you a really good grounding <laughs> for when you went into perimenopause, because it's a bit of a shock to the system, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. It, it, do you know what? It was like stepping into a different world. Being 20 years a therapist, you, you're there to support and help others. And and I think my ego got in the way a little bit about my lifestyle choices and the things I was doing to be healthy. And then perimenopause comes and you're like, oh. I'm not going to escape this. You can't out health the symptoms of perimenopause, unfortunately. You can make your symptoms better, but you can't outrun it. Yeah. So it's a different being on the flip side of being a therapist. It's interesting. It is interesting, isn't it? Because I know there's a lot of, I've seen a lot of articles about this race of women don't suffer from menopause symptoms like we do. And that kind of thing. Are you saying that you did all the things you thought you could do to prevent the perimenopause symptoms, but that didn't happen? You still got them? I think it was more of a, I believed I was living a healthier lifestyle and nothing bad's going to happen to me as such. I think it's a big, it was a big ego check. I think I didn't really think about perimenopause until it happened. And I think that's the same for everyone. You don't if it's something that you think is going to happen in the future, you go, I'll just, I'm too busy. I'll just deal with that later. Until it literally comes knocking, that something's bothering you, that you will potentially go and see your GP or, or a specialist. And that's what happened to me. I moved to the Sunshine Coast from Sydney. Um, and when you move to a new place, of course, you get a new GP. And my GP decided to do a whole just barrage of tests just to get some baseline measures. And one of the tests that she wanted me to go for was a bone scan. It's called a DEXA scan. And I, I have sports science um, background, so knowledge. And my, my little red flag went, ooh, what's going on here? Why are you asking me to go for a bone scan? Uh, again, because I think I live a healthy lifestyle, blah, 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 all the things. And I was just like, why would you be doing that? And then I got the scan and got the results, which were not favorable. And we can talk about that as we go into this as the topic of conversation, but it was a bit of a shock to the system. And then you layer on top of the results from that, and then you layer on the perimenopause symptoms. And then my re my alarm bell started to go. I was just like, hang on a minute. This thing that's come through was totally unexpected. So it wasn't like I was knowing full I was heading into perimenopause and I'm, I'll be fine. It was a case of this Thing that came back with the bone density then had a massive knock-on effect to 
me starting my perimenopause journey. So it, it wasn't so much me coming into perimenopause. It was more with another health diagnosis that attached onto menopause. And I was just like, why does nobody know about this? This is crazy. So yeah, and then it took me down that path from that point there. So tell me what happened. What was the diagnosis? The bone scans are to check your bone density. Bone density is a marker for how strong your bones are. And my scans came back with less bone density than an average person of my age, an average woman of my age. I was diagnosed with something called osteopenia, which is one stage before osteoporosis, which you may have heard of that condition. I hadn't, I didn't know enough about osteopenia, but I did know about osteoporosis. So when I heard that, I, I got a bit of a shock. Now, I'm, it, it's like a graph. It's like a scale. So you start with good bone density. And as we age, everybody, as we age, our bone density naturally declines. Now, for women over the age of 40, that rapidly declines a lot faster because of what happens with our estrogen levels in menopause. So our bone density as women goes down naturally, but mine was a lot lower than it should be on a sliding kind of scale. So I, I almost feel lucky that I was diagnosed early in terms of I, we've caught this early enough to for me to know well, what can I do about this because I don't I definitely don't want to keep going in this trajectory down to osteoporosis which is a really challenging condition and it's something that you, you want to really avoid having to get but there's still lots of for anybody listening who has osteoporosis you'll know that there's lots of things you can do to help manage it so it's not the end of the world as such but it's a silent symptom of menopause and nobody talks about it because you you can't feel it you can't see it. And it's not an obvious, we, there's so many obvious menopause symptoms like the hot flushes and the brain fog and the think you're losing your mind and the muscle loss. You can feel that and see it and it's almost more measurable. The bone density loss, you can't hear it, you can't feel it, you can't see it. So it's what I now call the silent symptom of menopause. And it's a really big risk factor for all women heading into the over 40 year age bracket because our bone density naturally declines but because we don't have the same levels of estrogen to buffer it our capacity to build stronger bones diminishes even more so it's a big problem and it costs osteoporosis costs the government billions every year in fracture care and the aftercare of when you fracture a bone it's a huge problem and i'm scratching my head that we're not talking about this more and it's not just not talking about it. It's like it's not even on the radar screen. I, I'm pretty sure I haven't had that test. I've had every other test, but I haven't had that one. And I'm quite lucky. I'm a horse rider. Yes. So I know that if I fall off and my bones don't break, I'm probably okay. But most people aren't yes. in that kind of situation. How do we, why is no. this not like going for breast screening or going for cervical cancer screening or all the other things if you're over 40 and you're female well, I, yeah you're absolutely right should you be getting that that test look and all honesty i think it comes down to money from the medical side and i'm not i, I can't categorically say that but dexa scans are expensive and it's another process to put people through when yeah i don't know i don't know i, I would love to think that women especially when you hit the perimenopause years so if you're going to your gp and you've got symptoms that you want to try and manage and they ask you all the right questions about your cycle and and you you come to that sort of agreement mutual agreement to say yes i, I believe you're probably in perimenopause 
let's look at some of the risk factors for osteoporosis. And if you're in the high risk category, then we'll send you for a bone scan. There should be like a procedure. And just to let you know that being over 40 as a woman is the number one risk factor for osteopenia and osteoporosis. There's also those who have yo-yo dieted in the past and those who have decided to reduce their dairy in their diet and not replaced their dairy with a decent calcium and vitamin D alternative. Now, that was me. I decided a good few years ago to stop drinking cow's milk. As we know, it's one of the best sources of calcium that you can get. But there's so many people these days who don't have dairy in their life. I still eat cheese and I still have yogurt, but the cow's milk. So that's a huge risk factor. And those who are not physically active in a way that uh, stresses your bones. So I didn't know until I did the research, not really, that walking and running don't count for building bone density, which is a bit of a shock. It doesn't count because that plane of movement that you're walking and moving in is a very standard plane of movement. And in order to build bone density, you have to stress the bones in a way that it's not used to, if that makes sense. I'm trying to keep it really simple. So you're walking and jogging and those who do cycling and swimming, particularly because they're non-weight bearing, they're risk factors as well. So I would love GPs to have that next step of, okay, you're in perimenopause, Let's see where your other risk factors might be and have that kind of screening to say, you take a lot of the boxes for osteoporosis. I think we should give you go and get a bone scan. Well, and the other one is, sorry, is medication. The reason I got asked to go for the bone scan is because I take medication for my thyroid. So I've got Hashimoto's. That's a big risk factor as well, because it's about the absorption of calcium and the thyroid medication kind of messes with that. And any autoimmune disorder will mess with your ability to build bones. So there's a huge there's a huge risk factor with other medications as well, particularly autoimmune. And it's hereditary as well. If you've got a parent or a grandparent who had osteoporosis, then there's a high risk category there as well. So there's actually quite a lot. I'm sorry, I might have taken you down the garden path there with that conversation. But it's worth knowing for yourself. Mm. But you're right. I think it's something that GPs should be looking at. So how much is the actual test? How much does it cost? Is it covered by Medicare or yeah. a private thing? Only if you have a, an existing condition that would lead you to have to get the test. For like for myself, I didn't have to pay. It was covered by Medicare because I have a thyroid condition and I'm taking medication for that. And so if you don't come under one of these risk factors, I do believe you have to pay its out-of-pocket expense. I actually couldn't tell you what it is. I should have looked that up before I came on here. I can find out for you. But um, no, you do have to pay unless you've got a pre-existing and you've got that referral from your GP. See, this everything you're saying here is one of the reasons why I'm, I was so passionate about spreading the word around menopause because it's almost like, and every time I talk to somebody, something new comes up. Your heart, your chances of having a heart attack, mm. like skyrocket as you're going through menopause and then mm -hmm. osteoporosis and yeah. diabetes and there's yeah. all of these things that we don't mm. know. And this is a completely new one for me. I had no idea that menopause was the actual mm -hmm. instigator in, I just thought it was an age thing, but it's the, yeah. the impacts of losing your estrogen are huge, aren't they? Yeah. Like I talk about it a lot on my social media and it's formed a lot of the basis from my online course that I have now put together on the basis of your diet. And there's all these factors that come into it. Effects of estrogen are 
massive. And I think just giving women the education about how important your estrogen is, is it will allude to all those health because it comes under that whole umbrella of the estrogen effect. I want to make sure I add that actual component into my course. I touch on it in different modules, but pulling it together into one cohesive document, just to give that overall view of the impact that estrogen has or the impact that the lack of estrogen will have on your body will allow women to really appreciate that their symptoms are something that need to be looked at. Don't struggle. If you can find a way that you're happy to either replace it in a way that serves you well or find other ways to support it and boost it, you'll come a long way to help managing your symptoms. And it's that understanding of what's happening to you. For me, it was almost as, okay, it's okay. The symptoms I'm having, I can, as long as I can understand where they're coming from, and I'm not, you've said it before in previous episodes in your podcast, you don't want to be left feeling like you're losing your mind or you just feel like you're going mad or all the other symptoms. You don't want to, you don't want to be stuck there. If you can at least appreciate, okay, fine. I, I've learned a little bit about estrogen. I know that this is possibly menopause. There is something I can do about it, but I'm not going mad. And then I, I can, for me personally, I can help myself work through it better knowing what it is yeah it's forewarned is forearmed basically you've probably heard me say yeah. it before if you're over 40 45 and you've got any kind of bizarre symptom it's probably perimenopause and if you come at it from mm, that viewpoint, absolutely it just gives you a framework to have a look at things okay my estrogen levels are dropping i might not be in perimenopause yet but obviously something's going on. Yeah. And, okay, what are the symptoms? It's like we need everybody, every woman to be aware of what happens at the tail end of your reproductive era. For, I can't think of what you call yeah. it, the tail end of it. And I think that's the thing. We don't yeah. understand what is, and coming from that space, what is the biggest thing that you wish you'd known and that you want other people to understand? Because it's a personal thing. I wish I knew that bone density loss was a big issue coming into menopause. And I wish I knew the things that I now know to how to combat that. But for me personally, the biggest thing is that I wish I knew that my thyroid medication was going to cause me a big problem with my bones coming into the perimenopause years. So now my future journey, I've created this course and it's taken me a lot of my time and effort, but I've loved doing it. But my next journey for myself is to get off my thyroid medication. Now, a lot of people will be like, ooh, you, you can't do that. I know people who have done it. And if the research says you can do it, then I'm, I'm all for that. I'm like, if one person can do it, I can do it. Because I am already at risk of losing more bone density faster than anyone else. And I know that there's a direct link between my thyroid medication and my bone density. So I wish I knew that my medication was causing me a major problem and I would have put different things in place in the run-up to these years because the thing that I want people to understand is that if you can build your bone density bank before you hit perimenopause you have a much better chance of maintaining your bone density so that's my message to everyone else who is not yet in perimenopause which is not hugely helpful for a lot of your audience who are already halfway through it but my message to you is know that you can do something about it and it doesn't take medication. It's not about going down the HRT route. 
It's about building solid bones, so changing your exercise habits. Because the thing is, menopause and the change in your hormones will change how you exercise and get results. It will change what you should be eating. It will change your gut microbiome. It will change your mental state. You have to move with the change and you have to change what you did before to where you are now because you'll just not get the results. So for those who are in the menopause or even post-menopause, the five years post-menopause are the biggest drop in bone density that you'll ever get. And your bone density can drop by up to 20% in the five years post-menopause. But you can work with that by changing your exercise program. That's why I created this course. I had to work it out for myself and I'm so grateful that I've got the sports science knowledge that I've had for 20 years to be able to implement it but change how you exercise change what you eat change how you manage stress is the big thing so yeah there's lots of take-home messages but just know you can do something about it so uh, how easy is it to because like I'm just thinking I know people who are on thyroid medication and some of them are overweight Mm -hmm. as well because that's got to have an impact on what we're talking about, on bone density loss and everything, does it? How does being overweight and not being mm-hmm. active impact that as well? Or maybe not being as I'm being very judgmental. I think it's, it, look, it's without going into the science, because I'm not a nutritionist and I'm not an endocrinologist, but understanding that your hormones have a huge impact on your metabolism. And if you're talking about the menopause space, your metabolism changes because your hormone levels are doing this. Now, if you also have a thyroid condition, for example, that's, a, that's disrupting your hormone levels as well. Your hormone receptors are impacted. So some people have overactive thyroid and some people have under, and that will change your metabolism and the way you absorb food. But the inflammation in the gut is a big thing that will cause stress to the gut, which will tend to impact how you burn energy and how conversely how you store fat but as we go through the menopause years in general we tend to store fat differently and we tend to utilize energy differently because we don't have the estrogen to help keep things balanced and like you said if you've got a thyroid condition then things are more wobbly so it's harder to maintain a good weight for some people with a thyroid condition and like I said, I cannot go too in, in depth in a conversation because I'm not qualified and I don't know enough to, to talk on that topic. But I can talk about menopause in general in that we do store fat differently and we utilize energy differently. And if you're not asking the body to recruit the right energy stores for exercise, so if you're not challenging the body in the right way, you will not burn fat the same. Yeah, Mm. I was just going to say, I remember somebody pointing out to me a few years ago that you see a lot of, say, fitness instructors and they get to their sort of in their 50s, late 40s, 50s, and regardless of how much high energy, high impact exercise they do, they're overweight. It's like they can't use the weight because your body's needs Mm. are different, aren't they? Talk to me about that. If you haven't changed your exercise program from when you were in your 30s then yeah you're just not kick-starting the metabolism but of course we know that health and being doesn't just come from exercise it's what you're eating and how your body's absorbing food when your body's in a state of uh, heightened inflammation so your stress level so let's pick stress for example so estrogen helps balance cortisol levels 
Now, we need cortisol levels. That's your fight or flight. We need that response. But what happens in menopause is that the stress levels tend to rise because at the same time of you having all your crazy symptoms, you're generally in a stage of life where stress is just at its max. You're working hard. You've got mortgages to pay. You've got businesses to run. You've got potentially kids to look after, but also potentially elderly parents. You've got relationship things. This is the height of stress years in general. And then you throw in the menopause symptoms and then your stress levels are up here. So when your body has got this elevated amounts of stress, there's so many factors that affect how your body composition will be. So if you're in that constant fight or flight stage of life, you'll be on this energy roller coaster. And I talked about this in a different video with someone. The energy roller coaster of menopause is you're, you have you're doing all the things and you're busy and you're super busy and you're up here with your energy and then you cannot sustain that and then you have these massive crashes so then you have what calls menopause fatigue so you're on this roller coaster you've got it you're juggling all the things and then boom you're done your cortisol levels have had enough they flatline and you've got nothing this all impacts how you process food if you're in a heightened state of inflammation and stress Stress is inflammation in the body, if you're looking at it in an easy way to understand. If you're not managing your inflammation within the body, then the foods that you're eating will A, not be absorbed properly, and they'll be stored as visceral fat, because we need that kind of emergency store of energy when you're caught in the fight or flight. So it's, oh, it's a funny old horrible cycle, but you really need to look at your diet as well as your exercise and managing your stress. It's not about taking away stress. We all have stress, we can't take it away, but it's how you manage it and how you approach. Is there any little techniques that you can bring it down? So looking after your gut, managing your mental stressors, exercising appropriately, but eating and changing how you eat and the proportion of food will help you shift the weight in your 50s plus. You're absolutely right. If you've not changed anything, but your exercise, you're just not going to get the results, which is incredibly frustrating. And I think all fitness professionals who are working with a population of over 40s really need to know this because they're not going to get results for their clients if they don't adapt and change with their audience. And their level of training for menopause, it's just not there. You don't get it as a personal trainer generally, unless you specialize. As an exercise physiologist, do you have to specialize in, in that side of things? And Looking back on my 20 years of clinical practice, there's so many of my patients that now I know when I see them come in, I'm like, oh, they probably had all these menopause symptoms that were not best managed because me as a practitioner didn't pick up on it. And it's not my area of expertise, but I probably could have helped more people with some of their symptoms had I known. So, yeah, it's a hard one. It's tricky, isn't it? So visceral fat. So that's fat around your belly, is it? That's fat on your belly. Mm -hmm. Love the menopause belly, mm -hmm. I've got to say. Correct. <laughs> yeah, it's a thing, isn't it? And oh. it's one of the first signs that people will notice. They're just like, where did that come from and why is it not going away? It's so hard to get rid of. Yeah. Why do we suddenly <laughs> get visceral fat? It's like I turn into a 60-year-old overweight man, beer, beer drinker, and I don't even drink beer. Yeah. <laughs> What happens? Why do we yeah, stop? Well, it's, well it's, it, it, it comes down to estrogen. It is, it's that imbalance of estrogen and not allowing your diet to be changed and modified as you're going through those states. So we can blame a lot on menopause, but I don't want people to use it as a get out. 
and just be like, oh, it's fine. It's menopause. I don't want people to use it as a crux to maybe not doing something about it and not changing their diet. Don't use it as an excuse. Use it as fuel for information to understand. So don't, so you don't beat yourself up and go, oh, I need to run. See, this is what happens. People go into this vicious cycle. The belly fat arrives and then they decide, oh my gosh, I need to go out for another run. And they go out and they run hard and they smash themselves and their exercise. And then they get adrenal fatigue and cortisol fatigue because they're doing more and they're not allowing for rest and their body's caught in this horrible cycle. And that actually ends up storing more fat because your body needs that energy. Fight or flight takes a lot of energy. So you get caught in this vicious cycle. So the answer is not to do more cardio. The answer is to do more strength training. And this is the crux of my course is to change your training because strength and weight training has been proven research over and over again to burn belly fat. So you have to put down the cardio. The cardio is wonderful for your heart health and obviously your cardiovascular health. But if you're trying to outrun your belly fat, you won't do it. (laughs) So it's just not going to happen. So yeah, you can give yourself a, a sigh of relief that you don't have to go and run a marathon because it won't work. You'll just end up knackered. <laughs> You'll still have the belly. This is the laugh of yes. recognition. I tried my hardest, did not work. And it's yeah. the most frustrating yeah. thing as well. It's, oh, what do I have to? Because, like you say, I'm doing the same thing that I've been doing for donkey's years. Why isn't this working? And it suddenly stops working. And I see so other, there's so many other women. The same thing happens all of a sudden. They go for, and it's the most, well, for me personally, maybe I'm all about appearance, but it's one of the the really disheartening things is you can keep doing what you've always been doing and go from super fit to a flabby belly really quickly. (laughs) It's like banging your head against a wall, but that is the message loud and clear. What used to work will no longer work in the menopause years. You have to make changes to see a change in your body because your hormones are changing, your body is changing, and you have to change with it. That's the bottom line. You can't keep doing what you were doing in your 30s and expect the same results because your body's not the same anymore. And it's okay. It's okay. It's just learning how to move with it and shift with it and understand it and not beat yourself up. But don't keep going back to the same exercise routine that doesn't work because you'll only get stressed and then you'll affect your body confidence, your self-esteem, it knocks so much of you and you think you're doing all the right things. And I think it's such a crying shame that people who are very fit and healthy or they see themselves as very fit to see their changes in their body and they're going, I'm doing all the right things. I'm eating all the things, I'm running, I'm doing blah, 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 blah. And I'm still feeling like crap and I don't like, don't love my body anymore. It's really sad. And and I guess that's a lot of where I've wanted to pull my knowledge and put it together in a package for people to go. You don't need to know all the answers. You just need to know somebody that can help you go through this because trying to work it out for yourself. Oh my gosh, it's a minefield. Like trying to work out the foods you're supposed in general. Aren't we always bombarded with eat this? Don't eat that. Next week, it's completely reversed. Actually, don't eat that, eat this, do this exercise, eat these, take these vitamins. Oh my gosh. If you're left trying to work that out for yourself, you'll just dig yourself into a bigger hole. It's really challenging. What changes to your diet 
in general, should we be making as we go through perimenopause and menopause? One word, protein. Just eat more. Your body needs it in vast amounts. And because your bone density decreases and your muscle mass decreases with the loss of estrogen, you're never going to overeat protein. Because I've, I've said this to a few of my clients and they worry about putting on weight. Yeah, good luck. No, protein will not make you put on weight. <laughs> not eating enough protein will mean that you're eating more carbs, which will put on weight. So the one key dietary message is eat more protein, especially at breakfast. And if you can make it a savory breakfast, all the better to fuel you for longer, to sustain you so that you don't have that 11 o'clock crash and then you go and eat the chocolate muffin and then you feel bad about yourself and then you have another one. And yeah, protein, that's it. I want to keep it super simple because there's so many other dietary things that we need to consider. Everybody's an individual. We've all got intolerances to things and we can't eat this and da, 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 And I don't want to go there. But as a general rule, just eat more protein. It's really interesting, isn't it? Because as I look back on it now, because I was a swimmer and a runner and everything else, I was the carbohydrate queen till I hit perimenopause. And then I found mm -hmm. I just could not tolerate it mm -hmm. anymore. And I ended up going keto for a while, yep. which kind of didn't suit me. But that is the kind of style that still does lots of meat because, yeah, tofu does not work for me, and vegetables. Like that's – and the kids all make fun of me because I yep. – basically my diet meat and vegetables give me meat and veggies with yeah. a few carbs because yeah. they're nice yeah i think if you can focus on your distribution on the plate is to have your roughly for a woman over 40 depending on your weight it's all depending on your weight if you're getting into the nutrition of it about 20 grams of protein and then build your plate around that but it doesn't have to be meat if you're vegetarian you can have your eggs you can have your cheese you can have lentils chickpeas there's so many vegetarian options and vegan options if you're not on the dairy side of things either that you can build your meal around like eggs in the morning are great it's such a great way to start the day but again if you're vegan then you'll have to find another way of doing it and it's not always about not focusing on one type of protein so if you end up looking at this big steak going i've got to eat that don't look at it like that look at it as a small piece of meat with some nut sprinkles on top in your salad. So there's a bit of protein from the seeds and then have a bit of halloumi cheese or something in it. Take your protein from lots of different places and, and that'll build your meal and have a, a dressing that's got natural yogurt. So there's healthy fats and there's calcium, but it's also protein. So it doesn't seem so overwhelming. I think when people say protein, the first thing they think of is, oh my gosh, I'm going to have to eat more meat, but I can't do that because I don't eat meat. You, you don't have to. And I love a protein smoothie. They're so handy and an easy way to get it in. But just allowing yourself, and it doesn't have to happen overnight. It's not like I'm expecting people after hearing this to suddenly double their protein intake. You're, you're going to have to allow your body to adjust and change because your gut will need to manage it better. But your energy levels will go through the roof. You won't have as many aches and pains if you are doing the weight training. Protein will help resynthesize your muscle and then you will start to build lovely shaped toned muscles because we know what it's like to lose the muscle tone in the menopause years as well but if you're doing eating the right things and doing the right strength training then you will actually see those changes and results and that's a happy place to be going into the technicalities why is it that we need more protein basically because estrogen is a builder for muscles 
So when you don't have muscle, you don't have estrogen helps you build muscle mass. And it's all to do with the chemical compounds of how your muscles contract and relax. But estrogen is needed, is necessary to build muscle mass. And when you don't have estrogen, your muscle mass just goes down. And the one thing that you have to refuel your body with is protein to build muscles. You see those little old ladies as they get older and they're very frail and they're very thin and there's no muscle tone on them whatsoever. So it's a combination. So yeah, estrogen is a major driver for muscle mass. And when it's gone, so is your muscles. So you have to almost double the protein intake to what you were doing before to counterbalance. So that's what I mean is you're not going to put on weight. If your estrogen levels have gone down so much, if all you're doing is eating enough protein to bring it back to equilibrium so that you're actually on par, then you'll maintain your weight, but you'll also maintain your muscle tone. And muscles and bones go together. So bone strength requires estrogen, but it also requires strong muscles as well to build bone. So it goes hand in hand. That bone and estrogen effect again. (laughs) But I think it's quite right what you said that, and this is the whole point of this podcast, like to me it's not about sinking into a depression and going, I can't do anything about it. It's about getting knowledge and minimizing the impacts and maximizing the potential for this not having an impact. Do you know what I mean? I I do know what you mean, though. Allowing women to understand that this time of life is a time to pause, menopause. We pause, reflect, recalibrate, so rejig things, and then just step into yourself. Embrace it. It's a time to step into your power. It's a powerful stage. Women are powerful. We're intuitive. We're, we know ourselves. And these are the years where you really get to know yourself and then just own it. But you've got to have strength of body and mind to allow yourself to get to that point. So I, I just think it's a great stage of life. If you can, like you said, arm yourself with knowledge, acceptance of yourself. So don't beat yourself. Self-compassion is, is a big thing. We just lack in that. We just run out of it. But the time it gets to us, we give it to everybody else. Compassion and empathy and care. But when it comes to self-compassion, we just run out of steam when it comes to ourselves. And we need to stop doing that. But just allowing yourself to step into yourself, accepting that this is a phase in life. It's not the doom and gloom and be all. It's not the end of the world. It's another phase of your life. But you have to learn to move with it and your shifting hormones or you're going to be left behind. It's just, yeah, empowering yourself with knowledge. Yeah, I think that's the thing as you were talking. It's there's nothing wrong. I think this is about coming from that space. There's nothing wrong. Mm -hmm. It's just that some things are different and we have to adapt and deal with the differences. It's If the weather's 40 degrees, you wear completely different clothes to if the weather's 10 degrees because there's a different set of requirements. There's nothing wrong. And we might not like being in 10 degrees or 40 degrees. It's just that's the what's when we just need to deal with it from a different space. And I think coming at things from the space of there's nothing wrong. It's just different. That is probably key. And it, that's what you're saying as well, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, there's absolutely nothing wrong. You just We're hormonal creatures. Women, we're in a cyclical pattern all our lives. And I think not being able to, and that's another thing, um, being able to understand your cycles of, uh, and the seasons of your life and embracing them. Thinking back to your teenage years when you were going through the early stages of the hormone changes and you're starting your menstrual cycle and 
your hormones can be all over the place but learning as you get older to honor each stage and go okay this week it's the week before my period i'm just going to retract from the social stuff and i just want to spend a bit more time being with myself whatever it's the same in postmenopause honoring where you are at in your cycle and if you don't have cycles anymore you can follow moon cycles the moon and menstrual cycles go together there are roughly 28 days and so when you move through to the postmenopause phase where you're no longer menstruating cycling your energy levels and how you feel about yourself will change as the month goes on so through the weeks of the cycle so i do encourage women who are no longer in a cycle a, a consistent cycle to start to track the moon cycles and i've done a, i've got a really nice free download for anyone about your energy levels with menstrual and moon cycles so whether you're menstruating or whether you're in the moon cycle phase of life understanding where your energy is and what foods will serve you best and what exercise will serve you best in each phase so it's about accepting and understanding and you'd think after all these years we'd get it would be <laughs> i'm still figuring out how I feel and, and listening to it is a thing. But I've done a lovely free download that anybody can get their hands on to understand a little bit more how to manage their energy, their moods, and watch exercises to go for at certain times of your cycle. I have got a completely blank expression on my face because I have no idea what you're talking about. I'm just going to push through it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love it. Yeah, accept. I think we were coming to that accepting change, accepting that it's okay to be where you're at. But if you start to tap into yourself and know when to go for it with energy levels and do all the social things and when not to is a really helpful way. But just in terms of your exercise and making those changes, it's okay. You can manage things better. But just like you said, arm yourself with knowledge. And yeah, that'll help you through. Just to say, everybody that's listening or watching, we will put the links to Mari's website and those downloads in the show notes so you can click on those to go and find them. Is there anything else that you, it's about time to start wrapping up. Is there anything else that you want to say? Do you know, I think we've covered as much as I'd like to without necessarily feeling that this is all doom and gloom and overwhelming and oh my goodness, my bone density is going to go through the floor. It's like you said, though, it's all about knowledge and sharing. This is my experience and this is where I've come from. But I don't think there's anything else that needs to be covered. I just think if you've got any questions, feel free to reach out to either Karen, you're very knowledgeable as well, or myself about anything that we've talked about today. And if we can help in any other way, just yeah, share. It's worth sharing these podcasts. And I'm, I'm so grateful that you've got this and you've given me the opportunity to share my experience here. So if I can help one person who didn't know about their bone density but may do something about it now if they think they're in the risk factors then that's great that's all I'm here for so yeah nothing else to cover fantastic so just tell people briefly how they can get in touch with you and I will put the link up on the website too I think the easiest way is just to go to bodymindbones.com and all my information the free download is there my Facebook group that supports women in perimenopause my courses everything you can need you'll find at www.bodymindbones.com. Fantastic. Thank you so much, Mari. It's been so much fun. It has indeed. I'll hopefully talk to you again soon. Thanks for having me, Karen. You're welcome. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe and rate and review this podcast and share it with your friends. 
And don't forget, if you've been thinking how great it would be to have your own podcast so that you can interview guests and speak to people about the topics that you're interested in personally, head on over to speakuppodcasting.com to find out just how easy and cheap it is for you to start podcasting. There's a download on how to start a podcast for free waiting there for you. Thank you so much for listening. I'll see you next time. Oh,